For the past few weeks we have been taking you on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. In this program we are going to visit the fascinating sights on the Mount of Olives including the Garden of Gethsemane. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy A program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Well, Gary, here we are on the fifth day of our pilgrimage. Last night we arrived here in the beautiful city of Jerusalem, got a little bit of a view of it from Mount Scopus, but today is going to be the day of all days. This is my favorite day of a pilgrimage and because we spend this day, folks, uh, in the old city seeing the, the city of Jerusalem, the city that Jesus knew. Now what we're going to do today is we're going to drive over to the top of the Mount of Olives and get a panoramic view looking down on the Temple Mount and boy, that's always exciting. You know, I always get the feeling I'm right at the center of earth, don't you? Hallelujah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ezekiel says this is the center of the earth, and, and spiritually speaking, it really is. This is where it's all, this is where Jesus gave his life for the atonement of our sins. It's where he's going to return, and uh, I can hardly wait. Amen. He's going to return to that Mount of Olives where we're he going to be standing. Is. It says in Zechariah 14, when his foot touches the ground, what happens? Bang. Today would be a good day. Today would be a good day. <laughs> well, folks, we're going to start there, and then we're going to start walking down the uh, Mount of Olives. And we'll go over to the Jewish cemetery and talk a little bit, bit about it, and then across the way to Dominus Flevit, which means our Lord wept. It's a traditional site where Jesus taught his disciples, and we'll have a devotional service there. It's a beautiful chapel. We'll head on down to the bottom of the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where Gary is going to lead us in a devotional about the what happened there at Gethsemane. Yes. And uh, from there, we'll come across the Kidron Valley to the old city of Jerusalem, and we're going to walk across the old city of Jerusalem from the Lion's Gate all the way over to the Jaffa Gate. And uh, that, in other words, we'll be, uh, we'll go, be going from the uh, east side of the uh, city to the west side of the city. And in the process, we're going to have a devotional at the Pool of Bethesda. And uh, we're going to visit St. Anne's Church where I love to sing. Don't you? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. You can sing and you can hear yourself sing because it just echoes back to you. Absolutely. And we're going to walk the Via Della Rosa, which is the the way of the cross. And we'll end up at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And then from there, we'll go through the Christian quarter over to the uh, Jaffa Gate and go for lunch. I know that's always a highlight for you. At it's lunch, a highlight. Right? <laughs> we'll come back. We'll do the Jewish quarter, uh, the Mount Zion, where David's tomb is located and other items. And then we'll go into the old city again and go through the Jewish quarter, end up over at the uh, Western Wall. So it's going to be quite a day. In fact, I always tell the folks that on this day, when they get through, they will understand why the most commonly seen shirt in the old city t-shirt is one that says I walk my feet off in Jerusalem because that's that's what we're going to do today folks I mean it's all up and it's down and it is long walk but it is absolutely thrilling especially to walk through that those tight corridors in the old city and get the smell of it and the feel of it it's just fantastic well of all these things that we're going to visit which one are you looking forward to the most without hesitation the Mount of Olives uh the center point of all of Christianity is the promise that Jesus would return 
And that mountain represents that return. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into the sky? This same Jesus taken up from you will return in like manner. And it was from that mountain that he, uh, that he uh, went to heaven. And he's going to return to that mountain today. It'd be a good day. Uh, although we got some things to go through there prophetically before we get to that point. But... Uh, when we stand on that mountain, we're visiting the, the story that Jesus is going to return there. He is going to come in a glorified body on a glorified horse. We're going to follow him on white horses according to Revelation 19. We'll ride down that mountain across the Kidron Valley up through the eastern gate, go up on the Temple Mount, crown him King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and I cannot wait. Well, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, boy, I tell you, Gary, I, uh, if you ever get a little passion, a little excitement, you might be a good preacher, you know. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I'm working on it. Oh, okay, okay. Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to read this scripture to our pilgrims later on, and I think I'll just read it right here. Uh, this is our, our scripture for the day. It's taken from Psalm 48. It says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. In his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And then it ends with this, walk about Zion. That's what we're going to do. Amen. Walk about Zion, go about her, count, count her towers, mark well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following, for this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Here we are on the top of the Mount of Olives, zooming back from the eastern gate. And as you can see, this vantage point provides us with a fantastic panoramic view of the Temple Mount that is enclosed within the ancient walls of the old city of Jerusalem. The Gold Dome building is a Muslim shrine called the Dome of the Rock. This is Mount Zion, where Jesus conducted His Last Supper with His disciples before walking over here to the Mount of Olives, where He prayed in agony and was arrested. The deep gorge below is called the Kidron Valley. We're standing here on the slope of the Mount of Olives, and across from us is the uh, Kidron Valley and the Temple Mount. On this slope are tens of thousands of Jewish graves, mainly the graves of Orthodox Jews. And the reason this is such a huge Jewish cemetery is because of something that is said in Zechariah chapter 14 where it says that when the Messiah returns, that He will return right here to the Mount of Olives, that when His foot touches the ground, the mountain will split in half. And so, Orthodox Jews who believe the Word of God want to be buried on this mountain because they believe that the people buried here will be the first to be resurrected. I have a friend who was to come over here with me in the 1990s, very close friend, he and his wife, and about a month before they were to come, he drowned in a tragic fishing accident. His wife came, in, came ahead with their daughter and brought his ashes. And there's the ashes of at least one Gentile on this Mount of Olives who's going to be resurrected on the day that the Messiah returns. But anyway, this is a couple of things I wanted to tell you about this. The bodies are not in these boxes. The bodies are down in the ground. The boxes just simply note the location of the body. When the War of Independence ended, 
the Jordanian forces and the Arab forces had conquered all the old city and this area. They went into the old city and they burned the Jewish quarter to the ground. They dynamited all the synagogues, destroyed the whole Jewish quarter. And they came over here and began to desecrate these graves. They took these big flat stones on the top here. And they took them to their army camps. And they used these as stepping stones to the latrines. That's the kind of attitude they had toward the Jewish people. So many of these graves were desecrated and many have been put back together since 1967 when the Jews reoccupied this particular area. You see these stones on the top. Over here in this particular arid climate in the summertime in particular, when things are so hot, flowers wouldn't last more than a few hours. So what people do is when they visit the grave, they take what's called a stone of remembrance and they put the stone on the grave and that is a reminder that someone loved this person enough to come and visit them and honor them. Sometimes you see graves with a lot of stones on them. Sometimes those are important rabbis who have died. There's one prime minister of Israel who is buried on the slope of this mount and that's Menachem Begin who was an observant Jew. He died in Tel Aviv but according to Jewish customs, he must be buried before sundown on that day, and he was. But the word spread so quickly, there were 300,000 people here when his body was put into the ground. I like to shoot there when we make videos. First time we ever tried to find it, we had great difficulty. We had a guide who did not know where it was, and we looked everywhere for hours and couldn't find it. It was a hot day. The staff was about to pass out from the heat. Finally, he said, why don't you just do like Hollywood? Just shoot it at any grave. Nobody will ever know the difference. And I said, well, I'd know the difference. So the next morning, we prayed earnestly that the Lord would lead us to that grave. We came up here on the Mount of Olives. First thing we did as we were driving up, we met a police car. That should be a one-way drive up here, but somebody has to pull aside. So we backed into a driveway, but our guy jumped out, and he said to the policeman, do you know where the grave of Menachem Begin is? And our guide came back shaking his head in wonder. He said, I just can't believe this. But he said, you know, you all prayed this morning to find the grave. I said, that's right. He said, well, that, I asked him where the grave was. And he said, my father is buried right next to Menachem Begin. I will give you a police escort. So we had a police escort over to Menachem Begin's grave. The next year I came, I wanted to film there, and I couldn't find it. I, I knew where it, generally where it was, but I couldn't find it. I kept looking for the grave with the most stones. I didn't know that once a month they come and they knock all the stones off and start over again. And they had just knocked them all off. So those are some of the experiences that we've had over here. And I guess the one that meant the most to me was when I was wandering down through the cemetery there, and I came to the most ornate grave that I've ever seen here, with tremendous walls around it of, of, of a decorative iron. And guess what? It was the grave of Eliezer ben Yehuda, the man who revived the Hebrew language from the dead. Well, we're going to go next to Dominus Flevit. That means where the Lord wept, a beautiful teardrop chapel, and talk there about Jesus some more. This is the small chapel on the slope of the Mount of Olives that is called Dominus Flevit. It is shaped in the form of a teardrop because this is the traditional site where Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. This is a view from inside the chapel looking through a beautifully decorated window 
toward the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount. From the vantage point of this chapel you can get a very good view of the ancient eastern gate, the only gate of the city that is closed. I want to talk with you for a few minutes about the eastern gate. I call it the gate to prophecy. And the reason for that is this. In 1967 when the Six Day War broke out, I was a professor of international law and politics at a university. And I was following very carefully what was going on over here in the Middle East. I was fascinated by it. I had grown up, I was born in a Christian family, grew up in the church, was there every time the door was open. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, vacation, Bible school, you name it, gospel meetings. But we never heard Bible prophecy, never. We were an amillennial church. We, we were taught that Jesus is never returning to this earth again, never. He'll never put his foot on this earth again, that the millennium is going right now. The tribulation is going simultaneously, and everything's just going to come to a screaming halt when Jesus returns, but He'll never return to this earth. He'll just appear in the sky, we'll go up and go to heaven, that's it, all over with. So I didn't know anything about Bible prophecy. And I'm reading the newspaper every day about the Six-Day War, and one day, probably about three or four days, maybe a week after the war was over, I read this news article that just didn't make any sense to me. It said that when the Israel Defense Forces were trying to figure out how to take the old city, it occurred to them that the Jordanians would think that they would attack from the west on the other side at the Jaffa Gate. There's only one gate on the west side of the city. They, they, they would attack there. So they decided, as the Jews always do, that they would go around and hit them from the other side and catch them by surprise. In the middle of the night, move their forces around and catch them. And this article actually said that in the process of all these discussions that somebody actually mentioned the possibility of putting satchel charges on the eastern gate and blowing it open so that would really catch them by surprise. And they said there was a rabbi there. Now this is an article I'm reading in the newspaper. And the rabbi said, you will do that over my dead body. Nobody's going to blow open that eastern gate because the word says that the eastern gate will be sealed and it will remain sealed until the Messiah comes. And I thought, what in the world is that all about? So I got out of concordance. That was before the days of computers. And I got out of concordance, and I looked up the word gate, and I started looking up every scripture in the Bible had to do with gate. Until I got to Ezekiel 44, and there's the prophecy. The eastern gate will be closed, and that gate's not going to be reopened until the Messiah comes. And I couldn't believe my eyes. So then I went to the Encyclopedia Britannica and I started, why is that gate closed? Has it always been closed? What's the deal? So I started studying on that and I discovered that according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, nobody knows for sure why the gate was closed. But the, 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 the story is, the story that's been passed down is that while they were in the process of rebuilding the city walls, that a rumor swept Jerusalem that the Messiah was coming and the Turkish officials called this rabbis in and said, who is this Messiah? And they said, well, he is going to come. And He is going to deliver us from you. And the Messiah is going to reign here in Jerusalem over all the world. And He said, thank you very much and dismissed them. Called in His engineers and said, we're going to take care of that Messiah. Brick up the eastern gate. He can't go through it. Put a Muslim cemetery in it. No Jewish holy man would ever step foot there. So they bricked it up. They put a Muslim cemetery in front of it to block the Messiah. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that is the story I run across in every source I find, something of that nature. But the point is, it got me hooked on Bible prophecy. I never knew anything about Bible prophecy. I thought, I'm seeing this fulfilled before my very eyes. So I started studying Bible prophecy in 1967 intensely. 
And the more I studied it, the more amazed I was as I saw prophecies about the regathering of the Jewish people, the reestablishment of the state, the reclamation of the land, uh, the uh, revival of the language, the reoccupation of the city of Jerusalem, uh, the uh, growth of Israeli military power. All that's prophesied. And that all the nations of the world would come together against Israel over the issue of Jerusalem, which is where we are right now. So I call it my gate to prophecy because it's what got me interested in studying God's prophetic word and finally brought me to the point where I gave up my academic career to spend the rest of my life talking about Bible prophecy. When I was 12 years old, I discovered something in Bible prophecy that relates to this place that I'll never forget. The only sermons we ever heard about Bible prophecy, it was just one sermon that was passed among all our preachers, and that sermon was this. There is not one verse in the Bible that even implies that Jesus Christ will ever put his foot on this earth again. I heard that over and over and over and over. And Gary grew up in the same denomination I did, and he heard the same sermon over and over and over. Not one verse in the Bible even implies Jesus will ever put his foot on this earth again. When I was, and we called ourselves a New Testament church, and we meant that. If the preacher said, bring your Bible tonight, we all brought our New Testament. The Old Testament had been nailed to the cross. The Old Testament was irrelevant. The Old Testament was something that you taught stories like Noah and the ark to children, but that's all you did. No wonder we didn't understand the New Testament. (laughs) We didn't even know the Old Testament. So when I was 12 years old, I was flipping through the Bible one day, just flipping through. Came to Zechariah 14. I started reading Zechariah 14, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Zechariah 14 says, that in the end times, Jerusalem will be surrounded by enemies. We now know that the enemies of the Antichrist. And it says that just as Jerusalem is about, the half of it will fall, and just as the other half is about to fall, the Messiah will come. He will come to the Mount of Olives. His foot will touch the ground. The mountain will split open. The remaining people in Jerusalem will come out and hide in the cleavage of the mountain. And it says he will speak a supernatural word. A supernatural word. And it says that when he does so, The Antichrist and his forces will be destroyed in an instant. And it says, verse 9, on that day he will become king over all the earth. So not only does it say he's going to put his foot on this earth, but he's going to reign. He's coming back to reign. He'll be king over all the earth. What a day that will be. I can hardly wait. So I discovered that. So here's what happened. I was so amazed by that discovery because I grew up in church and said, boy, we believe the Bible, every word of it, just exactly what it says, beginning to end, except for all prophecies concerning the second coming because they don't mean what they say. So I went to my preacher in fear and trembling. And I said, sir, I'm only 12. I said, sir, um, you say there's not one verse in the Bible that even implies Jesus will ever put his foot on the earth again. Yes, sir, brother, that's right. I said, okay. Well, what about this? And I gave him Zechariah 14. Read the first nine verses. He sat there and he read them, and I, it was like an eternity. I, he just kept reading them and reading them and reading them. Finally, he turned to me and he stuck his finger in my face and he said, Son, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what this means, but I will guarantee you one thing. It does not mean what it says. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm stubborn and persistent. After all, my name's Reagan. I'm Irish. And so uh, every time a preacher would come to town and, and get up, there's not one verse in the Bible. Even. I'd go, what about Zechariah 14? Well, they didn't know about that. Didn't mean what it said. Till finally, when I was about 19, we had a seminary graduate come. Now, in our denomination, seminary graduates were very rare because they believed seminaries were repositories of the devil. Today, they saw a lot of them more. But anyway, uh, so he came. 
And he got up and said the same thing. And I went up to him and I said, what about Zechariah 14? And he didn't even hesitate. I mean, he knew it. He said, apocalyptic. Scared me to death. I turned around and ran off. I didn't know what that was. But when I started preaching, people would come up and say, what about Zechariah 14? I'd say, apocalyptic. They'd run. I didn't know whether that was a disease or what, but it worked. I mean, they would run off and I would grin and I thought, man, that, you know, all's right with the world. <laughs> Until one day, a man confronted me and said, let me tell you something, David. Are you familiar with the first coming prophecies of Jesus? I said, yes. He said, were they literally fulfilled? I said, yes, every one of them. And he said, why wouldn't the second prophecy, coming prophecies be the same? And suddenly something clicked. And I thought, you know, yeah. If the first coming prophecies meant what they said and were literally fulfilled, the second coming prophecies mean what they say and they're going to be literally fulfilled. And I began to study prophecy like I never studied before and I discovered the golden rule of prophetic interpretation. And that is if the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense or you will end up with nonsense. Take it for its plain sense meaning. I'll never forget when I started studying the book of Revelation, the first commentary I ever read was by Henry Morris, the founder of the Institute for Creation Research. And he said at the very beginning, people, I'm writing this book because people tell me the book of Revelation is hard to understand. It is not hard to understand. It is hard to believe. If you will believe it, you will understand it. Our next stop was at the Garden of Gethsemane located at the base of the Mount of Olives. The garden is situated next to a beautiful church known as the Church of All Nations or the Church of the Agony. It is built over an outcropping of stone which marks the traditional site where Jesus prayed before His arrest. Follow along with me in John 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, verse 1, He went out with the disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden which He and His disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, now that word in your Bible, some of you may have a New American Standard. I believe that word is cohort in your Bible. In Greek, it is the Greek word cohort. Do you know what a Roman cohort is? This is one of the things I was going to show you in case you've ever missed it or not thought about it. A Roman cohort is 600 men. Let that sink in for a moment. 600 men come over here to break up a prayer session with 12 guys and a leader? Something's going on here that we may have missed in the past. Let's proceed the detachment or cohort of troops and the officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees, they came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Guys, we're only breaking up a prayer session. We got a, a Jewish rabbi, his name is Yeshua, his 12 followers, they're not armed. What do you need all these clubs and weapons? And and they had the M16s of the day too, boy. I mean, they 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 got the spears and so forth and so on. They're coming over here ready for a, some kind of a battle. It looks like to break up a prayer session. I think the scripture answers why in just a moment if you'll follow along. Verse four. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward. He saw that crowd coming here. Let me ask you a question just to pause here. 
Now, 12 of us, or there's 30-something of us, and we're over here, and we're at night, and we're going to pray in this garden, and all of a sudden, 600 men start coming over here to break up our prayer session. Are we going to go the opposite direction, or are we going to go to them and, and confront them? Here's what Jesus did. Look at verse 4. He went forward and said to them, the leader of the group is out in front of these 600 men. And he says, Who are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, Now I want to pause here and remind you of something. You remember the day that Moses encountered God in the burning bush? And Moses thereafter learned that God's name was, Tell him, Tell them who I am. And what did he tell them to tell them? I am. Now, the word he here is in italics, which means that it's implied in the text. So here is what Jesus told them. They answered him, said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, stood with them. And when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Hello? 600 men, all of them armed, all the Pharisees, all of the temple guard comes out here, and all of a sudden a grand surprise meets them face to face. They didn't plan on encountering anything like this, but all of a sudden, something knocks them to the ground. When he said, I am he, all of them fell to the ground. Jesus could have snapped his fingers at that moment, sucked all the air out of all their lungs, and they would have all died right here. He could have called a couple of angels and beat them up before they ever got here. Why did he not do that? You know the answer to that. Jesus didn't come here, folks, to get a good job, a good wife, and kids, and have a nice life. Jesus came here to die for you and I. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it has been a blessing to you. Next week, the Lord willing, we will continue our pilgrimage as I lead you on a walk through the old city of Jerusalem. We will go from the Lion's Gate on the east side of the city all the way over to the Jaffa Gate on the west side of the city, and then we will head over to the Jewish Quarter. Incidentally, if you have missed any of our programs in this series, you can watch them on our website at lamblion.com. They are also available on many other internet outlets like hischannel.com, and lightsource.com. Also, if you would like to go on one of our pilgrimages to the Holy Land, give us a call and we will let you know when the next one is scheduled. Well, I hope you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Four of our television programs shot on location in Israel are packaged together in a DVD album entitled The Mountains of Jerusalem. The mountains you'll be exploring are the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount, Mount Zion, and Mount Herzl. Dr. David Reagan is your guide on this historical journey into the Bible. 
You'll learn the biblical significance of each mountain while taking a tour of the sites that distinguish these mountains of the Holy Land. Enjoy over 100 minutes of beautiful footage shot on location that will help you and your family experience the Bible in a very personal way. The Mountains of Jerusalem DVD album can be yours for a gift of $15 or more plus shipping. To order, call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, or order online at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 